Hello, everyone. I am Mark L. Vincent, and I direct the Convene Consulting Network and really enjoy these conversations I get to have with folks who love God and love business and love good enterprise. I want to bring those together so that there really is a faith and work mixture that uh, makes the world better. And so today I'm talking with Paul Aubin, who uh, is a highly regarded convened chair, does a lot of executive coaching, particularly with some teams of executives inside their business. And but we're going we're to chat about that today. Uh, so, Paul, thank you for joining me. I'm glad that you're here. Well, it's good to be here, Mark. It's always good to spend time with you. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. Well, thanks. So um, I think it'd be really good if we just started with a bit of the journey that brought you to the place where you ended up uh, becoming a convened chair and began to treat that as a platform to really help executive teams uh, kind of get past the things that are in front of them that they maybe can't see and then to go deeper and deeper into a coaching practice that you have with executives, but also with their teams. Can you just walk us through that story a bit? Yeah, uh, it wasn't a short journey. It was, it was quite a long <laughs> journey <laughs> to get here. And if you would have asked me 15, 20 years ago uh, what I'd be doing at this point, I don't think uh, I would have uh, said this, but I am so blessed to be doing what I'm doing. But let, let me give you a little, little backdrop on it. Um, uh, you know, I was raised uh, Irish Catholic in a town in, outside of Boston and New York um, in the Northeast. And uh, didn't spend much time with God after leaving uh, New York to go to Ohio State. I spent 20 years chasing the American dream and being uh, a young man of culture. Um, and we all know that, you know, in the secular world, I was full of pride and ego and self-centered and very uh, ambitious around getting the Porsche in the garage and the house on the golf course and being able to retire at 55. Right. And that was my world. And God changed that. <laughs> and he put some people in my life. I was very blessed to put very significant people in my life who were not only successful in business, but significant in the kingdom. And the first gentleman that I met, I was in the pharmaceutical industry and I was VP of national accounts. And I was working out of the home office in North Carolina. And he came to me and said, Paul, I have an opportunity for you. Uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, a regional office there. I want you to uh, oversee our, our 12 Western states, but this is conditional. Uh, the condition is I want you to go to Scottsdale Bible Church and you don't have to go every week, but just go there once because there's a pastor there by the name of Daryl Deluce and I would like you to meet him. And, you know, of course, if you fast forward that, uh, those people that are listening to the podcast are thinking, well, that's not real legal, you know. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking that you just hearing you say it. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm glad he did it because you know, I just kind of did their old head tilt and said, Craig, why are you doing this? And um, he wouldn't tell me, but he knew that there was something missing there with Paul Aubin. And he was a man of faith and the, really the first leader man of faith that I've met. So I went out there and, uh, of course, went to a service and um, the senior pastor was speaking to me directly, and um, I was saved about three weeks later. I crossed the line, and ever since then, um, God has been putting other people like that in my life, and um, I made the transition myself 
from being a poster child for a poster guy for the corporate world, wanting the American dream, uh, making the transition over to a godly man, but it didn't happen overnight. Uh, I went to Saddleback Church, was transferred to back to Southern California, ran into Rick Warren and his uh, men's pastor. And long story short, they both uh, inspired me to, um, uh, to get more involved in men's ministry and uh, went to seminary and ended up actually being a men's pastor. And so the, I will go, go through everything, but the, uh, the short story is that all of these people have been put in my life and I was able to combine the, the business background that I had with now this new faith background that I was building. So it was almost like being a train on a track and you know the conductor hits the click, is it the click switch? And you switch tracks. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with me. I mm-hmm. left that world behind and uh, get into that. So I've got my own examples of a transformation where I felt like I became a better man, a better husband, a better parent, a better neighbor. And I was living more of a faith, for a faith uh, life. Um, so that inspired me to get on board with men's ministry and just share the Kool-Aid, you know, with those guys out there. They were like Paul Aubin, who thought they were all that, um, but then to introduce them to Jesus and to take the spotlight off of themselves like I did and put the spotlight on others and to serve and be significant. So that's been my uh, mantra, my charge. Uh, because I just love, love, love to see uh, the fruit that comes out of that. Just one quick example. I'm at Mariner's Church, and uh, I'm on the patio, and there was a gentleman uh, that I was working with who uh, uh, had an alcohol uh, issue, and uh, he separated from his wife, and uh, things just weren't going real well. Well, I worked with him and prayed with him and everything else, and about nine months later, um, he came walking up the patio with his uh, hand in hand with his wife and his two small children, eight years old and six years old. And the little girl walked up to me, actually ran up to me and said, uh, Pastor Paul, um, thank you so much for bringing my dad home because now we can play soccer again after school. Wow. And I was like, are you kidding me? Right. Mm. So moments like that, stories like that, fruit like that is what God uses to uh, to drive me to get men to focus less on their just their business and focus holistically around uh, God and all the other components of our lives. So, yeah, wow. so, so that's the backdrop. Yeah. yeah well, thanks. So at, in this uh, role that you've had as a convened chair and helping to train other chairs and working as a, an executive coach. You're spending time coaching. Sometimes I say coaxing uh, women and men toward um, their future beyond some of the bigger obstacles that are in their way. I'm going to ask you about teams in a little bit, but I want to just start with those an individual executive leaders. What are you noticing that just keeps showing up as some of those obstacles that those executive leaders have to get past if they're going to really build their personal capacity and, and leadership quotient. 
Yeah, really good question, Mark. Uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you, this is what we, you and I work with over the years. Um, I, you know, I study a lot of the, um, the men out there that, that write leadership books, the Maxwell's, the Druckers, and uh, Patrick Lencioni's. And, and uh, there are three, um, three facets of being a CEO, the three things they should be focused on. Uh, according to the experts and what I found as well, personally, the first is that they should be casting vision. The second is they need to get alignment around that vision with their leadership team. And the third is they should be spending time developing those leaders. And if they're doing anything else, they're doing somebody else's job. And so what I wow, find- Okay, right? that's, that's very clear. I mean, that's just a very clear delineation. So when I work with these uh, CEOs, uh, that's one of the first conversations we'll have. I'll say, okay, here's the ideal state. The ideal state is you're doing these three things. Tell me about your world. Are you actually doing those three things? And if you're not doing those three, why? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And so uh, the obstacles that you mentioned, uh, Mark, that get in the way is that uh, there's a number of them. Uh, the first is, uh, you know, our culture has told us that as a CEO, we should be an expert at everything in our business. And that's a lie that a lot of our CEOs uh, believe. Sure. And so what they find is they go outside of their lane of expertise. And, you know, most CEOs only have three or four lanes that they're really good in, but they find themselves going in the other lanes. Uh, so that's one. The other is, um, they're not developing their number two, their number three, their number four, basically their C-suite. They're not empowering them and they're finding themselves in the weeds. Uh, we, we do a, uh, a time and motion study. I do a time and motion study with these leaders and for two weeks they record all of their activity. And uh, it's interesting going into it because they all say, well, you know, Paul, I am doing those three things. I'm casting vision, I'm getting alignment, and uh, I am developing my leaders. And then we, then we match that up against the, the log for two weeks and we find that they were not, they're not really doing any of them, right? They are getting caught up in strategy and execution and just getting caught up in the weeds, um, doing jobs that other people should be doing. The other obstacle has to do with their identity. Uh, you know, a lot of these CEOs and business owners have their identity wrapped around their business and they feel like they need to stay in touch and do everything uh, because it is part of their identity and they enjoy doing it. Good example, I've got a gentleman in my group who owns the largest catering company in the country. He's won uh, all these awards of being the top catering company uh, in the country. And he's a chef and guess what he loves to do? He loves to cook, he's a chef. So he'll go in the kitchen and he'll start disturbing the executive chef, the sous chef and all the other chefs and cooks and he'll start doing his thing, right? So that, that's a pretty dramatic example, you know, mm -hmm. someone just jumping into the weeds. Now, mm -hmm. is it okay for him to do that on occasion? Sure, but it's not sustainable, right? <laughs> of course not. So I find with a lot of CEOs they find themselves doing the things that they like to do, but it's not necessarily the right thing to do for the organization. They should be empowering others. 
Another quick example, I owned a business called Newport Beach Vacation Properties. And I loved greeting people at the front door. We had 65 homes that we managed in Newport Beach. And I just, because I'm a people person, relational person, I just loved greeting them at the front door. Well, the problem with that is that they would want to see the owner of Newport Beach Vacation Properties if the toilet didn't work, mm -hmm. right? Instead of my operations manager. So, but I liked doing that. I had to pull myself away and not even show up. I would show up on occasion, maybe on a Tuesday night and knock on the door and say, hey, how are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm with Newport Beach Vacation Properties, right? So uh, that's, that's another obstacle is the identity and the love of what they do. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the other areas, uh, there's so many that, that lead to being distracted from, uh, from those three things. But I mm -hmm. think most of it, quite honestly, is um, uh, hiring the right people, having the right people that are in their lane on the leadership team, empowering them, trusting them, just giving them metrics and milestones and checking in on occasion, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to being in their world, uh, doing their job. You know, yeah. uh, there's one test that I give the CEOs, I'll say, uh, you, you know, you're doing those top three things. If you go to Europe for three weeks and you stay disconnected and you come back and the company is still doing well, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they're all looking to achieve the three week vacation to Europe. Ah, that's a worthy goal. Uh, uh, may their airports open up again and the borders so that we could actually do things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so this might be a good segue then to move to the organizational side of it. So a person might be getting in their own way uh, and you're coaching them past that. There are also organizational issues that show up. I'm guessing that there are some that show up with some regularity. I'm wondering if you could talk about that as well. When you're sitting down coaching and coaxing and they're saying, well, here's my scenario and it's something you have heard many times. What are some of those things that they keep running into? Uh, well, I think uh, you know, one of the issues that comes up is they're saying yes too much because they don't have a business plan. I'm just okay. shocked and stunned at how many companies uh, don't have a plan. They don't have a, a roadmap. And uh, therefore, they don't know when they can say no and when they should really say yes because they have no plan. So they're all over the board and their people don't know. Um, so they end up being very busy doing a lot of things, but not doing the right things necessarily, right? So that's, that's um, one of the things that come up is, you know, Paul, um, I need to get focused here. I find myself being too busy. I'm not able to achieve my goals. And then I'll ask them what their goals are and they're not really sure. So they haven't really um, gone through that with their organization, yeah. You know, um, it reminds me a lot of Michael Gerber's book on the E-Myth and uh, the idea of getting to some degree of operational excellence. If there's not a plan in the first place when you start it, right, yeah. if you're if you're actually only trying to work uh, and do your job that you ha were employed to do and just have more freedom, uh, but you really weren't prepared to own an enterprise, that means you've got no vision, no business plan. It's just reading Peter Greer and... Um, 
uh, Doug Fagerstrom's book on succession. And they were saying it's only 17% of businesses that have succession plans. And those are the bad ones too. And the ones that don't get enacted as well. I mean, there's just so much of this. How can you even know what you're going to say yes to inappropriately if you don't even know what the business plan is, right? Right. It's an amazing thing. And, you know, one of the questions I love, and one of the books that I love is um, uh, The One Thing, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the questions in that book that I've used over and over and over again is, what's the one thing you can do over the next 30 days that's going to make an impact and move the needle on your annual goals over the next 90 days? Mm -hmm. So it really gets them focused on the one thing uh, because they are pivoting left and right and they're overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with all of these different directions they're going in and their people are even more overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the other thing that comes up is bottlenecking. I hear that more from the key Mm -hmm. leaders that are reporting into the CEOs because the CEOs are not empowering their key leaders and the key leaders are waiting for the green light, waiting for the approval from the CEO to go forward on a certain initiative. And it could be weeks or months before that CEO has time to address it. Instead of the CEO saying, I believe in you, I trust you, I have faith in you, you've got a great expertise, make the decision. I don't know what we should do, but you do, go ahead and do it, Mm -hmm. you know, get back to me. Um, so the bottlenecking thing and the busyness and the lack of direction around a goal or a plan, um, mm-hmm. those are pretty popular things that I find myself uh, sinking my teeth into. And I almost assume that they exist now because they are so prevalent huh. out there. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Um, so let's move this just one more layer deep where you have an owner, executive, CEO, they're really working at getting past the obstacles that are in front of them personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're going deeper. And a part of that is they're getting right people in the right seats. They're they're letting their talent run instead of holding them back. And by so doing, they are addressing some organizational issues. But at that point, you really have an executive team. You don't just have a group of executives in their silos. You have a group of people who are working and they're in a strategic flow together. And you have this special um, practice of working with teams like that. So I'm I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about two things here. One are what do those teams face that you're helping them work past? What tends to show up maybe as a normal progression? The second part of that is why does an external coach help that? Why, why, why is that of any benefit? And don't worry about feeling like you're trying to sell something here or whatever else. There's a reason why those teams turn to an outside facilitator. And I'd like you to talk about that in addition to what are the issues that they face? Yeah, good. Um, yeah, this is a juicy topic. This is good. <laughs> I, I, I've seen a lot of benefits a lot of fruit that comes out of there's a lot of opportunity here Mm -hmm. uh, in this area Uh, i think you know assuming everybody's in the right role uh they're in their lane of of uh, gifting and expertise um the first thing that i notice is that there's a lot of overlap or underlap across Hmm. the leadership team what is underlap that's a new phrase for me 
Yeah, underlap is when you assume the other person on the team is actually doing it and they assume that you're doing it and okay. there's a gap. Okay, and so it's not it's not just a talent gap or a skills gap. It's that's an assumption that yeah. makes for it. Okay. Yeah. So I love the book by the EOS folks uh, called Rocket Fuel, um, because that's where the number one CEO and the number two person learn how to dance together. Hmm. And when they dance right and they each know their role, it becomes rocket fuel. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I find that there's a lot of overlap and underlap between those two individuals. So just sitting down with them going over, okay, Mr. CEO, Mrs. CEO, uh, why don't you put on the whiteboard your top responsibilities? Can you maybe explain your role? Okay. And then I'll usually turn to the COO, whoever the number two is, and do the same thing. And it's interesting to watch the faces on both of them because they're surprised that the other person actually has something on their list, you know, that is really on their <laughs> list, right? <laughs> and wow. so getting clarity of roles and maybe even doing a job description for the CEO and COO. Um, imagine that. Imagine that. That's just novel stuff, right? <laughs> um, and the rest of the leadership team. So, so that's one area, Mark, is um, uh, to really get the horsepower behind that team. Uh, people have to stop tripping over each other and uh, understanding that you know, this is their role and it's evolving based on their gifting. But if somebody else is doing part of that role, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's role, role comes down to role, role clarity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's one area. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I'd like to ask you um, yet one more question here as we wrap this up, Paul, we've talked about um, that ex chief executive and what they've, tend to face. We've talked about what tends to show up for the organizations on a repeated basis that you're coaching them, helping them coach themselves past. And then uh, now executive teams. Um, along the way, during your time with Convene, you have helped to pioneer some other ways to gather people in peer-based conversations, not just the people running the business. Uh, I'm just wondering if you could describe that initiative for us as we wrap up today. Yeah, absolutely. And just one other thing I wanted to touch on that I missed touch on in the last piece Please do. Uh, was uh, the, the incredible importance of running good meetings, mm. right? Um, I find that a lot of these organizations, uh, these meetings turn into sessions that I won't say on this recording, but they are blank sessions, right? <laughs> They're complaining sessions, right? Yes. Uh, meetings. Um, and having a facilitator, someone who's really good at running a meeting and getting to the point of saying, this is what we did last week. This is what we learned. Here's where we are currently. Now, what are we doing next week? Right? <laughs> and there's so many templates yeah. for that. But people yeah. do that really poorly. Yes, right? they do. For the weekly <laughs> meeting, the monthly, the quarterly, the annual, uh, and people just find themselves not wanting to attend meetings or not wanting to contribute. They're just looking at their watch going, when do we get out of here? Because this meeting isn't productive. Yeah. The other thing that I find is that at the end of the meeting, they don't say, okay, who's going to own this? And right. by when will it get done? Right. And they, so they can't track your work. Yeah. 
it's the who question and the when question. Mm-hmm. So we have a great meeting. We come out of this great meeting and uh, nobody has accountability. Nobody has mm-hmm. been assigned anything and there's no timeline. Mm-hmm. So nothing gets done. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I have a, a client that uh, is runs a national conference center. And they said, we used to call those the hostility meetings instead of the hospitality meetings mm-hmm. because there was so much complaining and grouching and, and they'd come out just as you said, with no real action plan, nobody owned any action step and, and it was highly unproductive. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's painful to watch some of those, but, mm-hmm. but making them aware of what good looks like. Uh, sometimes I'll go in and facilitate a meeting. Oh, to okay. that I'm, great at this but i know enough to be dangerous and i'm a neutral party you know yeah. so uh sometimes that helps yeah but uh, but moving on to your your final question mm-hmm. mark um the uh key leaders in the c-suite you know they're the ones that bridge uh, they build the bridge they're, they're bridge builders for the most part right they're the doers they're the ones that build the bridge from the ceo's vision to execution right and so uh, a wonderful thing happened to my CEO uh, convening group, the forum group a couple of years ago, where uh, one of the guys raised his hand and said, Paul, um, this might be a little risky telling you this, but uh, the good news is uh, we love the content that you're sharing with us and we love the speakers that come in and we just love convene. And I was waiting for the other foot to drop, right? <laughs> but, um, when we go back to our offices, we don't have time to share this wonderful content. For example, scaling up, we went through scaling mm-hmm. up for several months. I don't have time to go through that as a CEO with my leadership team. And wouldn't it be great if you had a separate team that was made up of our key leaders, mainly our number twos, and then you could share the same content and they would go ahead and focus on execution and I'd focus on vision and alignment and developing these people. So that was brilliant. And that came out of our membership. So I started a key leader group where each of my, not all of them, but many of them put their number twos in that group. So what we focus on is how do we get alignment with their boss Mm -hmm. and how do they collaborate across the leadership teams instead of them just focused in their own silo Mm -hmm. and looking at the content through the eyes of execution and strategy. Um, so when that happens, and it's lovely to watch, <laughs> um, you do get rocket fuel and the CEOs just love the fact that, that they're being coached by the same, the key leaders are being coached by the same person, me, um, or another chair, right? Um, so for me, I'm getting to learn a lot about that organization deeper and wider so I can be a better coach and so we can have more dynamic discussions within the forum meeting as well as the key leader meeting. Mm-hmm. So there's a real uh, connection there. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah. I, I really like that, Paul. Um, I'm reminded of a couple of companies I know of where they had a, a value choice that I'm not sure I could understand or explain or advocate for, but they were clear about it. We're not going to invest in our people. We're just not going to do it. So they would expect that people would leave the company, especially if they were in the executive management kind of level, they'd leave, go get other experience elsewhere, and then might be brought in later, five years later, eight years later, higher up, but they weren't going to rise inside the business. 
Yeah. I, I'm not sure I'm a big fan of that, but yet it's an articulated approach uh, to to have a we're not going to be deliberate and we're also not going to invest as these folks are doing in these key leader teams. That's that's a head in the sand approach. You're going to break all kinds of things. Yeah. What I like about what you're talking about is the deliberate intention, not just to invest, but to create continuity uh, where everyone is working at some of the same material that can then, you know, disperse throughout the company and you have mutual reinforcement happening simultaneously. It just seems like a really great return on the investment. And, and you know, when you look at those three things the CEO should be doing, according to the experts, you know, the last one that I mentioned is uh, developing their leaders. Uh, a, a little caveat here with this whole thing that didn't strike me until about six months into it. Uh, we're helping them develop their leaders so they don't even have to take care of that third leg of the stool as much that they're getting leadership development through the team, through the collective wisdom, encouragement and accountability of that peer group but they're also getting leadership development through a certified coach, mm -hmm. right? So the CEO can feel confident that their leaders are getting developed and they don't have to do the heavy lifting on it. They just have to polish the stone a little bit. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of wins that have come out of it. Um, and I, I'm just excited to be a part of it. They bring me in to do, you know, business planning and, tee up Patrick Lencioni's uh, Humble, Hungry, and Smart, and the five dysfunctions of a team, and all these things. And, and what that does for me is that it, it does, as, as I said earlier, get me wider and deeper into the organization and causes kind of a stickiness where I'm part of the organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're getting more value. Right. And there's then it's really a trusted advisor yeah. uh, relationship rather than a transaction. Uh, so, Paul, I'd, I'd like to say thank you for joining me for this conversation. Uh, it is insightful around the leadership development of a firm as well as its executive team uh, development. And there is good food for thought here. Uh, we always you know, develop a discussion guide for these things. And uh, I want to make sure we put the question in there about those things the CEO should be doing. Uh, and I wonder how many of the CEOs who would listen to this would actually ask their team, like put that into a discussion and say, am I doing these things? And how good are we at letting me do these things? And, yeah, and to see yeah. where that would take. I think that'd be a highly uh, creative conversation. Yeah. So, just a final go ahead. Note, um, I know I've mentioned a lot of things that CEOs do wrong. And who am I to say that, right? Uh, I've been a CEO and a business owner. I know how hard and difficult that role is. And, uh, but I'm, I'm just bringing up things that, uh, that are common themes that I see across your organizations, yeah. but uh, no judgment here. Uh, That's right. No card. <laughs> I, I want a, a favorite saying of mine is that uh, when you're in that driver's seat in that CEO chair, you get to fire yourself every day. Yeah. and turn right around and hire yourself. And that's yeah. usually a pretty healthy person who's, who's seeing it that way and can do it. So again, Paul, thank you very much for all of you watching this. We're going to have Paul's contact information up on the screen. And uh, you are certainly free to reach out to him. He'd be happy to speak with you. Uh, and again, there is a discussion guide we produce with each of these. And so if you are 
working your way through these podcasts systematically. There's some great food for thought here for uh, executive uh, leader conversations, executive team conversations, even department head uh, conversations. We hope you'll take advantage of that resource. And so again, we want to say thank you for listening. Farewell. Uh, Thanks, Mark.